0: Please turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, as we are talking about, continue to talk about spiritual disciplines this morning. We've been talking about that over the the weekend. Spiritual disciplines are really just means of God's grace, ways that God and his word has revealed to us that we can put ourselves in the path of his grace. And we'll be talking about uh, corporate worship this morning. As As you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, it has been really exciting to have the bookstore here this weekend, and they're here this morning as well. And, and you know I love books, a great way to engage in discipleship. And there were two books that I, I, I wanted to highlight by by Don Whitney. One, just kind of the the book that we've been talking a lot about this weekend, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. And so that's that's out there. And then also the the family worship book. And if you're a, a parent struggling in your Uh, and and how to engage in discipling your kids through the time of family worship. This might be a helpful resource, and encourage you to kind of look at those things. Just so you know, uh, the church is not receiving any money from the bookstore. This is not something that that we're doing to to make money. This is a separate entity, and and in fact, this is designed to help, right? And if there's a, a resource out there that you're like, oh, this would be a great resource for me, but you say this is not a wise time for me to be spending money on on books uh let me know and we can find a way to get you that book this is not this is there to help you in your discipleship not to not to make money for certainly for the church or anything so uh we we don't want that to be a stumbling block for anyone these are these are tools that i think god graciously gives us to to uh, grow in our, our faith so yeah don't don't let uh finances be a a burden there um Within reason, you know, <laughs> I have a budget, right? So uh, no, but seriously, we'd love to. And, and, we'll, and we do desire to continue to provide resources uh, and pass books out and things like that. So this will not be the only time. But what a great, it's been a lot of fun to, to see some of those resources there. But we're talking about corporate worship and one of the, the passages that we go through to very easily when we think about corporate worship is in Hebrews chapter 10, And I'm going to begin in verse 19. We're going to look at verses 23 through 25, but I'm going to begin in verse 19. If you stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. The writer of Hebrews says this in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. And Father, we are grateful for your grace to us, the grace that has been poured out, first of all, through our salvation, through our union with you, through our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, your grace you've drawn us to you, and and the continued grace uh, by which we have the ability to, to know you and to, to grow deeper into our relationship with you. We, we thank you for these, these means of grace you've given us, reading your word and, and prayer and, and singing and partaking of the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. And, and we are grateful to you that you've given us these ways of, of understanding you more deeply. And Father, we thank you for this time, here on a Sunday morning. You've allowed us, your people, to gather together. Lord, this is a special time. We do not, we pray, want to take it for granted. Be with us today. May you dwell with us in in a way that we we don't even fully understand, not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of your kindness to us, your grace. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. If you're at the conference this weekend, you know that Dr. Whitney talked to us about personal spiritual disciplines and, and corporate spiritual disciplines. Some, there's some overlap, but the, the personal disciplines are things we might do on our own. So maybe you do a, a time of prayer on your own or reading your Bible on your own. There, there's some things that, that you need to do on your own for your, your spiritual disciplines. For perhaps fasting for a period of time might be something you do just on on your own. But there are also some... Some corporate spiritual disciplines, things that we do collectively. And for those of you who are are members of Bethany Community Church, Bethany is your church home, there are some aspects of God's grace, some means of His grace, that can only be experienced by us during this time each week. There are some things that God is going to do in your life spiritually that can only be accomplished if you're a part of Bethany Community Church at, at 1030, beginning at 1030 on a Sunday morning. this In this room is where some of the things that God does in your life, that's, this is where it happens, and it only happens here. You say, well, that seems like a strong statement. What do you mean? Well, give me a little bit of time here, right? This is the things I say this morning I don't think will be all that new or or shocking to you, but hopefully they'll be encouraging for you as we we think through Hebrews chapter ten and then some applications from from Hebrews ten as well. Share with you a couple of statistics. In in two thousand twenty, for the first time in US history, church membership dropped below 50 percent among Americans. So they've been kind of hovering at 70 percent during the the 20th century and then as the 21st century started there was this the sharp decline and then over the last decade an even sharper decline until today again less than 50 percent of Americans would claim membership in a church. Now, along with that decline in membership, not surprisingly, there's been a decline in attendance in the church. Now, anecdotally, among my friends that I, I talked to, most of them would say they have not seen their church's attendance return to what it was, the, the pre-pandemic levels. But uh, regardless, I think most of us would say that that we know a lot of people who don't go to church. In fact, the statistics tell us that 20 percent of of Americans would say they they go to church on a on a regular basis. So you have uh, you have all the people who don't even claim membership in a church, and then among the people who do claim membership in a church, less less than half of them are attending on a weekly basis. And even those who say they are attending on a weekly basis, when you ask them what do you mean by attending church, many of them would say, "Well, when I say I attend church, I think about 20 of the 20 percent of them would say." I mean a combination of actually going to church and then just watching a church online. In other words, we live in a a strange time in our, our culture, even among evangelical Christians, in terms of how we prioritize this time on a weekly basis. Historically, God's people have understood the importance of gathering together. They've understood how important This time of of corporate worship is. Many years ago, I was reading a a book by J.C. Ryle. His his book Holiness, and in the book he talks about how you can just kind of appear to be a a Christian, and he he talks about how he says, you know, you can just appear to be a Christian. You just be a a moral person, and you can just attend church twice on a Sunday. and And I I read that uh, 20 years ago, or whatever. Wait, wait, you're gonna. Twice on a Sunday, man. That'd be great if I could get people in the church to come twice on a Sunday. But back in the 1800s, that was like the bare minimum of what a person identifying as a as a Christian would do. And certainly, we have fallen from that. Right now, if you attend church twice a month, you're, you're super committed. And, and twice a year, you're in. Right. The historic. Church has understood this differently as well. Historically, Protestants have understood this differently. I Think back to the Second London Confession. of Our Baptist forefathers in the 17th century wrote this about the Lord's Day. It said, God is, has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed to the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day. And is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath, the observation of the last day of the week being abolished. And then it says that the Sabbath is then kept holy under the Lord. It goes on to describe what that looks like. And, and my purpose this morning is not to get into discussions of, of how exactly we set aside this whole day for the Lord and how exactly that, that works out. But the, the point is this, even if we disagree exactly about how to observe the Lord's day, as we think about where we are as a culture right now, we are out of step with what the church has historically taught and understood about this day. And even more importantly than being historically out of step, we're biblically out of step concerning what God says about the importance of this time together. So what I want to do I, I want to convince you that this is an important time. I, I don't want to guilt you, and if at the end of our time together, you're like, oh, fine, I guess I need to come to church more, be more committed, and see what's happening here. that I failed, if that's how you leave the room this morning. But instead, I hope you see the beauty of this time together. You say, okay, this, this time that we're together is, is a special time. This is, this is vitally important for me to be here, not just to be obedient to God, but to be obedient to God for my joy. In fact, here's the main idea. That I want us to grasp together this morning. It is crucial to your spiritual health to worship with the saints on Sunday mornings, on the Lord's Day. And and not just crucial to your spiritual health, but but crucial to your, your spiritual health and your joy to worship with the saints on a Sunday morning. This is a beautiful and a precious time. Now, this is something that, that Blake and Heather suggested I, I touch on as and I think it hits well with where we are in our study in First Samuels as, as we talk about worship. And before we go on, I do want to make a little bit of a caveat here. Maybe some of you have already started thinking about this. We do recognize that not everyone, not every Christian can gather with us on a Sunday morning, right? There are some people who are providentially hindered from gathering with us on the Lord's Day. Maybe someone is in the military and they're overseas serving or they're an emergency responder, a, they're a fireman or they work at ER or a doctor, or a police officer or, th- or things like that. Or, or maybe someone is, is providentially hindered by, by being in prison or being hindered by, by an illness and, and unable to, to change a work schedule or, or something like that. So we recognize that there are special circumstances. And, and I believe, so for example, if you think about a person who is ill and can't be with us on a Sunday morning, I believe that God shows them special grace in those circumstances, that God is kind providentially to them when they're hindered from being here. James 5.14, for example, says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so we we recognize that that uh, the live stream does not replace the worship service, but it's, it's I think, a, a kindness of God that allows those who aren't able to be with us on a Sunday morning who can't be a part of the, the gathering of the saints providentially, it allows them a means of receiving some of the benefits. And God provides other means of grace. Even in their suffering, God speaks to them in, in special ways, we see in Scripture. And he, he allows the elders to, to go and, and uh, help them receive God's grace through, through special prayers, according to James 5.14. So as I say that, as I say that it's crucial to your spiritual health, to worship with the saints on Sunday mornings, we do recognize that for some who are providentially prevented from being here, God provides other means of them receiving his grace. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk here first about the grace of corporate worship, and then just talk about some of the elements of corporate worship and how we can grow in this spiritual discipline by God's grace. So first of all, let's talk about the grace of corporate worship. And turn there in your Bibles to Hebrews 10, if you're not already there, and let's, let's talk about a, a couple things here. The first thing that I want you to see in these verses is that God is the one who sustains us. We're talking about the grace of corporate worship. And the first thing I want you to see is that God is the one who sustains us. Look at verse 23, and there's several things, kind of five things I want you to notice Remember, our, our goal, by God's grace, is to be sustained. We, as Dr. Whitney talked about, we want to strive for holiness, and we're seeing that it's God ultimately is one who sustain, sustains us in that st- striving. The first thing I want you to see here in verse 23 is, is a little bit about the context. As you look at verse 19, he says, "Therefore." And what is the therefore, therefore? Well, as you look back on the rest of the chapter, you see these talking about the the sacrifice of Christ, our great high priest, and how he provides us with complete cleansing and forgiveness of sins. Verse 18, where there's forgiveness of these, there's, there's no longer any offering of sin, and so there is complete satisfaction in the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ offers, verse 12, for one time a single sacrifice for sins. Therefore, verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And then, as, as we think, we're we thinking about the context here, I want you to notice the, the Bible salad that occurs here. You say, what's a Bible salad? A Bible salad is when you have a lot of lettuce, okay? He says this, my dad, it's okay. He says in verse 22, let us, let us draw near, because this is true, let us, Someone just got it. <laughs> <laughs> it. says in verse 22, Let us draw near with a, a, a true heart. In full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So that's that's the first thing we do. And and we, we see that here in the context. We're we're drawing near to God with assurance. So we, we know that it's God who is the one who sustains us, first of all, by the context. That's the first thing I want you to think about as you look at verse 23. The the second thing I want you to look at here in verse 23 is the 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 phrase here, hold fast. Here's the second let us let us hold fast. To, to hold fast means to continue in to to continue to believe in to to hold our our hold hold something certain. And what are we holding fast? That's the third thing I want you to see here in the verse. It's it's our confession. So, let us hold fast, hold tightly with it without wavering the the confession. The confession is our our gospel witness and the proclamation and all that it entails. And then the, the fourth thing, how are we to hold fast this confession, our, our confession of faith? We're to hold fast without wavering. The word wavering means to, to lie down or to abandon or, or to, to, to topple. He says we're to hold it with, without wavering. That The picture here is a, a person who's firm in their conviction and, and firm in their profession of faith. Now, you might say, well, oh boy, uh, I I want to do that, but Daniel, I know a lot of people who haven't done that. What 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 confidence do I have that I'll be any better than this other person that I, I know? I, I don't think I'm a, a better husband than that person was. I, I don't think I'm a a smarter person than that person was. I, what's, what's my hope? Well, that's, that's the fifth thing I want you to see here in verse 23. He says, without wavering, why? For he who promised is faithful. Our, our hope is not in ourselves, but in, but in Christ, the one who promised is faithful. God the Father is the one who's faithful. Through the work of God the Son, the empowering of God the Spirit, this is our great hope that the disciplines, as we've seen this weekend, aren't things we do to earn God's favor. They're, they're things that a gracious God gives us that allows us to stay in him by his working. Romans eight twenty eight, passage we talked about this week. It says, we know that For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is a work all of God. And our confidence as we think about being sustained is not in ourselves, but in God. So God is the one who sustains us. Second thing I want you to see, verse twenty-four and twenty-five. God is the one who sustains us. Number two. One of the means that He uses to sustain us is the, the gathering of the saints. Isn't that interesting? One of the, the God's sovereign. He, he who's called us as faithful, but one of the means that a faithful God uses to sustain us. Is this time each week? So, what, what do you mean? Well, n- notice four things in, in these two verses. One, he says, "Let us consider." Again, that word "consider" means to to think over, to to contemplate, to to meditate on. This is this means there's something we should be thinking about. There's there's this the subject that we should be thinking about. For those of you who have young kids. You, you know that sometimes young kids have this, this thing they start thinking about, and, and they're constantly considering it, and they, it's hard to move them off this topic. You know, the kid is, is, Your kid tells you, Dad, um, can we have some ice cream? Yeah, we, I don't know, yes. Can we have it for breakfast? Uh, no. When can we have the ice cream? I don't know. Uh, lunch? No, not lunch. Uh, dinner? No, not dinner. Uh, after dinner. What time after dinner? How much ice cream can we have? What flavor will the ice cream be? Uh, w- will I be able to use the big spoon or the small spoon? Can I have seconds after I have it? And it's just like, just let's talk about something, anything else, right? <laughs> you know? Your kid gets considering, thinking, tell me about the ice cream. T- tell me how big the scoops are going to be. Can I have two scoops of different kinds of ice cream? It's just over and over and over again, right? I'm the same way, actually, I guess, so. You know, right? <laughs> you know I'm kind of thinking about ice cream right now, like, Maybe after dinner tonight, I can have some ice cream. What kind of ice cream do we have in the freezer? I'm thinking about it, I'm considering it, right? Well, what, what needs to be consuming our thoughts? He says, I want you to, cons- I want you to think about something. I want you to be, be, be planning something. And the thing I want you to be planning, the third thing I want you to notice here is the thing I want you to be thinking about is how to exhort one another to, to love and good deeds, he says, I, I want that to be something that, that consumes your mind. I want you to be pondering how you're going to help others. And then he says, I, I want you to do that, stirring up one another to love and good works. And then notice this, notice verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here, here's the, the, the last thing I want you to see here. Notice that he says that the way in, in which you're going to do that is, is to meet together. So you're considering how to stir people to love and good works, good deeds. And the method that you're going to, to be doing that is in the, the meeting together. And apparently, some people had been neglecting to meet with the saints that the writer of Hebrews is, is writing to there, there are some people who had stopped gathering as a church or, or gathering with the church. We don't know why. The, te- the text doesn't tell us, but there was something, some reason by which they had said, you know what, I, I don't need this gathering with, with the saints anymore. It's not going to a habit. It's not going to be something I, I do regularly. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you, you need to gather. Don't, don't follow the habit of some. Don't neglect to meet together. But instead, get together. Encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing nearer." You know, the, the word church comes from the, the Greek word ecclesia, right? That's where we get the word ecclesiology or ecclesiastical it's ecclesia. And some have said, well, that, that means the called out ones. And that's certainly kind of the etymology of that, that word ecclesia from, from ancient Greece. But the reason they were called, the, the reason that the word ecclesia, the called out ones came, came to mean a gathering, is in ancient Greece, whenever a, a group of citizens would gather together for a purpose, they'd be called an ecclesia. They were, they were gathered together for a, a purpose. And, and that's true of the church as well. The church is a, a group that gathers together. If you don't gather together, you're not a church. And how do you know who's part of the church? Well, you look around, okay, these are the people that are together together, this is the ecclesia, and then you then you leave the church and you go out and you, you do life and you're still part of the church, but you're you're only part of the church as you continue to to come back together together. Sometimes we call ourselves part of the church, but we're not connected to the church through gathering together. Many years ago, uh, Matt Schellenberg and I decided to go for a run together. We said we're going to go running, and so this was uh, 20 years ago almost, or something. And so we, we we had these we had to call each other on the phone. A phone was actually used to talk to people uh, that back then. And so we we called. It's like this: call each other on the on the phone and say, "Yeah, he lived about a mile apart from each other." Said, "Okay, let's go running together." And so. We said, so we'll, meet, we'll meet halfway, and so we started running, and, and I, I made it to his house, and he made it to mine, and we realized we had gone different directions, and so then we started running back to each other, and we ran back the wrong way again, and about the third time, we, we just kind of finally found each other, ran for a couple hundred yards, and just gave up, right? <laughs> so. But ever since that day, we refer to each other as running buddies, you know? <laughs> Matt and I are running buddies. Well, not really, right? What does a running buddy do? Well, a running buddy runs with his buddy, right? What does a church do? A, a church isn't just a group. It's not some group that you say, well, will they get together and so I'm part of that church. A, a church is a, an ecclesia, a, a gathering together. And so you, you gather together and you're the church and you, we sing and we pray and we, we read God's word together. We participate in the Lord's Supper together as a gathering, as an ecclesia. And then because we're part of this group, as we go out into the communities, we go to our homes, as we go to our workplaces, we're still part of this church. But we're we're part of this church because we're connected by this time of gathering. And so the writer of Hebrews says, look, don't neglect this time. God is the one who sustains you. But one of the means that he uses is this time of gathering. So, so think about it. Ponder it. Make it, make it something in your mind to think about, how can I stir up the other people in this church to love and good deeds? We talked about, I think it was just last week. Uh, yeah, just last week-ish. Uh, we, we talked about how important it is for us to understand there, are, there isn't a, a best local church and a better local church. and We're all the church. And if that's true for the larger body of of faithful believers who believe and teach the gospel and practice it, how much more true is it in this room of those of us who are part of the same local expression of God's church? We have a responsibility to encourage one another to love good deeds. And one of the ways that God, and ultimately it's God who sustains us, but one of the means that he uses is the gathering. Then number three, the the third thing I want us to think about here, kind of as Summon it all together. Therefore, the, the gathering this time is a spiritual discipline of grace. We, we talked about what the spiritual disciplines are. The spiritual disciplines are things that God has given us that place us in the, the stream of God's grace. Places where we can expect a God to, to show up. He's told us that, that this is the place that he will be. This is the place that he will be. We'll experience his grace, not on the basis of our works, not on the basis of, of how... Good looking we are, but simply by his grace here in our gathering. John Piper says this about the means of grace. He says in spiritual disciplines, he says, These are the means God has given for drinking at the fountain of life. They don't earn the enjoyment, they receive it. They're not payments for pleasure, they they are pipelines. The psalmist does not say you sell them drink, but you. But instead the psalmist says in Psalm 36, 8, you give them drink. This is a place right here, right now, where we experience the, the receiving of God's grace. And, and it's something that we receive simply by his kindness. There's something special about being here with, with one another. Uh, Friday night. Uh, we were getting ready for bed uh, after the conference, and, and Whitney and I were talking, and, and we're, we were on a, a text stream with, with Heather talking about some things from, from the conference, and uh, I, I texted a response to Heather that I thought was very funny. And I, I, was, I was brushing my teeth when he was in bed, and so I, I sent the text, and then I kind of poked my, my head out the door, <laughs> seeing if Whitney laughed, Right. And when he, when he looks up at me, she goes, w- "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm just watch waiting to see you laugh." And she goes, "Oh, sorry." And she picked up her phone, and she pressed "ha ha" on the text. <laughs> I said, "No, I'm I'm right here. I I want to like I want to see you lol. Like I don't want <laughs> I don't want to read you lol." I looked back at the text. It was not funny. Like I. <laughs> I thought it was really funny when I sent it, and then I look back and I'm like, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't even LOL. Well. That was nothing. And so, <laughs> I, I do like it when Whitney does a ha-ha to my text, but the, the reason I like it is I, I love to see her laugh in person, right? I love, I love to see Whitney laugh. There's, it's far better to see Whitney laugh in person than it is to see a ha-ha show up on a text, which is also nice even a pity, ha <laughs> There are some great things that can happen from watching a service online. Again, I think it's kind of God to, to allow us, but we cannot replace this time. There are some things that are only going to happen as, as we gather here together as, as a church. Let's talk about some of the elements of this time together, some of the elements of, cor- of corporate worship. and uh, Duncan in uh, 2014, wrote this article, and and one of the questions he asked was this: What does biblically directed and informed public worship look like? What does biblically directed and informed public worship look like? And it's it's a great question, and it's a great question because it assumes there is such a thing as biblical worship, which by implication there's such a thing as unbiblical worship. And so his question was: How do we, how do we do what God wants us to do during this time? And those of us who believe that God has told us what we're to do during this time, believe in something called the the regulative principle, or depending on how you pronounce it, regulative. Regulative or regulative, I've heard it both ways. I'm from Texas and Tennessee and different places, so I just say both. Um, It's this idea, though, that God's Word regulates what we do during this time. We believe that God's Word tells us what to do, that By looking at what God's Word tells us to do, it protects us against idolatry. As Matt Merker writes in his book Corporate Worship, it also helps us uh, affirm the sufficiency of Scripture that he has given us all that we need pertaining to life and godliness, how to to live and and to to worship him rightly. And it protects us against uh, not worshiping him in spirit and truth, which Jesus says we must do in in John chapter 4, right? so. We believe that God has told us what we're to do. Again, Matt Merker writes this. This this principle is a a posture regarding the essential acts or elements of corporate worship. It's a a way of saying that when we consider the the main strokes of what to do when the the church gathers, our basic instinct should be to, to lead the gathered church to do only what Scripture commands. This time is very precious And this time goes very quickly. I'm looking down at the clock right now, realizing, okay, my time is not infinite. I want to be sure to do the things during this time that God has commanded us to do, right? Not to go beyond what he's written, to make sure that we spend our time doing what his word requires. So we're not going to incorporate a fog machine or a light show as part of our worship, I'm not going to start doing a mime up here as, as part of our, our... This is Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, we're not, that's not what we're going to do as we engage in worship. We're going to say, okay, what does God want us to do? Uh, Ligon Duncan writes this. He says, The congregation that aims to be biblically directed and informed in its approach to public worship will gather weekly on the Lord's Day for Bible reading, Bible preaching, Bible praying, Bible singing, the biblical observance of the sacraments. That's the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. I think he's exactly right. I've heard Mark Dever put it this way. We pray the Bible, we read so we, we read the word, we preach the word, we pray the word, we sing the word, and we see the word. Those are kind of the five elements. We'll, we'll talk about those here. And, and this, is, this is how the church has historically understood it. Again, quoting the, the 1689 Baptist Confession, we read these words back from the 17th century. The reading of the scriptures preaching, hearing the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, as also the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper are all parts of religious worship of God. This is what the church has historically understood we do during this time. We read the word, we preach the word, we pray the word, we sing the word, and see the word. So let's, let's talk about those elements in the time that we have left together this morning. Let's, let's talk about what they are and why we believe that they're what God would want us to do during this time, and how we can improve in it. So, so, one, read the Word, right? You say, well, how do we know this is a means of God's grace? Well, in both the Old and New Testament, we see God calling his people to publicly read his Word. There's something very special about hearing God's Word read corporately. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Until I come, says Paul to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Then also to exhortation and, and teaching. Romans 10 17. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from, through the Word of Christ. This is this is a special Colossians 4 16. Paul tells them to have his letter read publicly. Then also to make sure the Church of Laodicea reads this letter and you read the letter from there. You say, Well, okay, how do I how do I how do we grow in this? You know, this is how do we grow in this as a church? Well, I think one, we, we come into this room expecting to hear God's word, pre- prepared to hear God's word. If you're like me, sometimes whenever you, you drive and you use a, a GPS or you use a, an app on your phone, it kind of tells you where to go. Uh, if you're like me, you, you don't really pay attention to where you're going necessarily. You're, you know, Siri or whoever is your app of choices is telling you, turn left, turn right, you're here, uh, you've arrived. And I, I've had several times, <laughs> I, I was my friend Jason Alligot, I, I had to text him Last week, I was going over to his house. And I said, hey, can you give me your direction again? I know I've been to your house four times in the last month. I can't remember where you live. Uh, Siri just gets me there, and I don't really pay attention. It's embarrassing, right? Sometimes when we come into the, this room, we're not even aware of what's going on. So I think we grow in this by being expectant, looking around. Okay, where's the word? Where am I hearing the word? As I, as I read with the, with the rest of the what is, where's this where are these words coming from? Is this scripture? We grow in this as we, we think about what we're doing in this time together. A second element is, is to, to, that we must do on a Sunday morning is to preach the word. And we see this in Second Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Timothy be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time has come is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths this is a means of god's grace God calls us to engage in, to to preach the word on a Sunday morning. This is a very special time. You say, well, how do we grow in this? How do we put ourselves in this stream of God's grace more effectively? Well, it shouldn't be surprising to you. I have some thoughts, right? I have some thoughts here. I'll be honest with you. I don't think of myself as a gifted speaker. I'm not in great demand at conferences, and I I don't enjoy speaking at conferences. I I look for reasons to get out. But I do love this time together. I'm still nervous about it, but I love the opportunity to to stand with you on a Sunday morning and, and talk about God's Word to people I love, Something special happens during this time because it's our family's time to open the word together. Again, Merker writes this. He says, A pastor shouldn't preach generic Christian platitudes into the air. They should speak to their sheep, their people. A Sunday sermon shouldn't sound like a message given at a Christian conference, as wonderful as conference sermons might be. It should sound like a father speaking to kids he knows deeply. I mean, father's a little old, but... Maybe a big brother. <laughs> Maybe father. He gives the story of a G. Campbell Morgan, who was, was a famous preacher, and he was at a church and, and was, was a guest preacher. And as he began to, to talk, the, the lights went up and you know, blinded his eyes. And he said, Will the ushers be so good as to, to turn down the lights? I have to see the faces of my congregation. Indeed, they are part of my notes, right? it's exactly how we should think about this time together. This is not a a one-directional speech. Uh, Wise pastors don't stick stubbornly to the manuscript and kind of prepare a manuscript without thinking about the people whom they love, care about. This is a very special time. So you say, well, how how do we grow in this? How how do we use this time more effectively? Well, one thing, come well-rested right? Come well-rested. Sometimes uh, some of you very sweetly will come up and apologize to me. You'll out yourself. Hey, sorry I fell asleep today. Uh, You know, the kid was up and this was up and and you were really boring. I'm sorry, Uh, you know. And I tell people, look, look, I have fallen fallen asleep in my fair share of sermons, okay? I, I know what it's like to be there and be tired on a Sunday morning, my encouragement is is recognize this is a special time by god's grace that we get together as a church and we get to talk about god's word together come well rested my dad would always say you start worshiping sunday mornings saturday night right so come well rested another encouragement to you is to to take notes as we're, as we're going through ask questions of the text Prepare ahead of time. Read God's Word ahead of time. The great thing about expositional preaching is it's, no, it's usually no big surprise what I'm preaching on next Sunday morning. It's going to be the, the next part of the text, so read ahead. Ask yourself as I'm preaching, as I, as I give you my main ideas and, and and communicate the text, it's okay to say, hey, is Daniel right about this? Is what Daniel is saying about the text, is, is that what I'm seeing in the text? One person talked about how they... Argue with the preacher, and I, you have to be careful with that. Obviously, you don't want to fail to be in submission to God's word. But what it means is, okay, am I am I thinking through what the preacher is saying? I encourage you to to talk about messages that we preach with other people, your care group, your kids. I encourage you if you have questions as we go through a text, send questions on. Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, Ben and I talk about the the, the sermon often on the post-Sunday app. And uh, you say, well, how do I get a hold of you? There's this great app called Church Center. And you can get on it. My, My phone number's on there, my email. Be sure to send me any questions you have about the text. This is an important time in our church life. Let's use it wisely. A third element of a Sunday morning is to pray the Word. To pray the Word. Lord's Prayer it's corporate, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Matthew verse eighteen. Jesus says, "If two or uh, two or of you agree on earth about anything, they will ask; will be done for them." This there's this corporate element to prayer. It's not just an individual praying. This is which is happening in our own devotional times, but it's a a, a time of corporate beseeching the Lord. There's a special time when we as a community of faith, pray together for God's blessings, His kindness, when we worship Him through prayer. You say, well, how do I, how do I grow in that? How do we grow in this, in this time that's so precious? How do we pray better corporately? Well, I appreciate what, what Brett did earlier in terms of, of praying biblical prayers. I think that's an important thing to do. Pray along with the person who is praying as we hear them praying. Make sure that our, our minds are engaged uh, to that end, one of the things I would encourage you to do is, is to remove distractions during this time. I, I don't mean your children, um, although for some of you, maybe. I don't know. Uh, we we, we want to we bring our kids along in this time as well. But uh, maybe for some of you, it's, it's, there, there's these great features on your phones that that'll allow you to, to turn off notifications and things like that. And, and I would encourage people to do all they can to remove the distractions that are going to cause them not, not to pray well and to do other things. And worship well a fourth element of worship is to to sing the word we sing the word on a sunday morning we see this in both the old and new covenant psalm 98:1, O sing to the lord a new song for he has done marvelous things then in revelation 5 9 they sang a new song ephesians five nineteen 19 were to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the lord with your heart. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts toward God. It's not just the time of preaching that you are being admonished. You're being admonished and instructed during our times in singing. There's so much more to say here. I'm just trying to kind of give some some overviews, but that's that's one of the thing The reasons I think it's so important that Mike and the worship team balance our, our 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 levels in terms of the the speaker and the music and stuff, so that we can hear each other sing. It's so important that we are not just being performed to, but that we are hearing one another sing. I, it was great. Uh, I love I love when I'm I love where I sit because here at the front you can hear people singing. I, and then uh, this this morning I was. Uh, standing there as we we're getting ready to, to pray, and Mike had to stand and sit and stand, and, uh, the <laughs> and <the laughs> I heard going around, what was going wrong. I don't know, should we stand? And I was standing next to to Britt, and uh, Britt's got a good voice, right? And he's he's singing, and, and I'm hearing God's word come from my brother Britt, and that's that's what we need on a Sunday morning. That's what we need in this time of gathering. We put ourselves in God's grace. How do I improve in that? Well, my encouragement would be to be on time. One thing: be on time for worship. Be here in this room. Uh, think about the songs during the week. Engage your mind. Hear what the worship leaders have put together. Sing with enthusiasm, in a way that encourages those around you. Think about the words that we're singing. Then, as when it's appropriate, to emphasize some words. Emphasize some words, and make sure that we're singing with our minds. In our hearts in a way that glorifies God. Respond with your, with your body in appropriate ways. It may include raising your, your hands or things like that as you, you think about the, the text that we're singing to one another. And finally, a, a fifth element of, of worship that we see in Scripture in terms of corporate worship is to, to see the Word. We need to see the Word. Now, I think you can make an argument that we tend to undervalue the seeing of the word and, and baptism and the Lord's supper. In fact, I was I was talking to a friend one time and we were talking about uh, ministry and, and I asked, well, you know, how do you feel? I asked this friend, how you, you know, what am I doing well in ministry and, and where do you feel like I can improve? And he had some encouraging words. He said one of the things I think you can improve in is is seeing the value and uh, of the elements of of the Lord's supper and, and and seeing this as a means of God's grace. Now. I, it's easy to defend yourself when someone here how "You can prove." But I, I think you know. You, you, I said, I, "I think you're right. I think we could grow in our, our seeing baptism and the Lord's supper as part of, just like preaching and, and singing, part of the means by which God graciously reveals Himself to us." Here's here's how one theologian put it: uh, The sacraments of of baptism and the Lord's supper were instituted by God chiefly as means of grace. Their principal object is to convey Christ and all his benefits to poor sinners who every hour depend on the continuing intercession of the Savior so that their faith will not fail. That the means of grace of the Lord's Supper and in baptism, these are means that God has given us to help us understand the gospel, to help our faith not fail. Our faith is weak, this is the theologian continuing, faith is weak, not strong in the believer. It therefore needs to be regularly nourished by the means of grace which God alone has prescribed for that benefit. That's why some people call the Lord's Supper, for example, a a visible sermon. This is a visible representation of, of of the gospel and of Christ's union with us. Now, some get it wrong in terms of what they see about the Lord's Supper. We think, for example, the Roman Catholic theology who would say that the elements themselves, apart from God's work, have some sort of special benefit to them. It's only when they're united with faith through God's working that they are effective. But as we come to a passage like 1 Corinthians 11, Paul describes them eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. He says it's to be this this means of feasting on Christ, growing in grace as you partake of the elements. Instead, he says, as you guys engage in the Lord's Supper, you're, you're uh, you're worse off. He says, I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord on the night, the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus on the night that when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then in verse 26, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, one, you you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now you notice that, that word proclaim, first of all, you should notice it's it's plural. It's it's not just you personally, individually, but you corporately, you proclaim present tense. In other words, the Lord's Supper isn't just something about isn't something that about just something that happened in the past, it's in the present. So, well, how do we put ourselves in the stream of this means of God's grace? Well, one, I think communion is only for believers, right? We need to make sure that we're partaking of this as believers. In fact, I would say we need to understand this only for believers who are committed to the local church. We're recognizing our our unity with one another. And to that end, we need to make sure as we come to the Lord's Supper, not that we have absolute perfection in our relationships with everyone, but we're committed by God's grace to be growing in our unity with one another. The the Lord's Supper is a means by which he causes us to recognize our lack of unity and, and to grow deeper in it. In other words, as we think about the Lord's Supper, it's it's not just something that points us to the past. It's something that, in the present, God uses to grow us. It's crucial to our spiritual health. He says it's, it's not just remembering something God did. The Lord's Supper is something God is doing as we partake in it. We think about it. Preaching. Preaching isn't just about something God did. Preaching is something we're currently receiving His grace. And the same is true with the visible sermon of the Lord's Supper. So much more to say there, but here's, here's what I want us to close. It's crucial to your spiritual health to worship with the saints on a Sunday morning. Thomas Brooks would say this as he talked about the necessity to engage in worship. He says, the Lord Jesus will make his services easy to you by the sweet discovery of himself to your souls while you're in his service. And then he, he quote, quotes Isaiah 64:5. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in all your ways. This is a special time that God has given us each week corporately to receive his grace. Let's thank God for this time and use it well for his glory and our joy. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you. We thank you that you meet us here. Not on the basis of, of how well we perform different things. You don't meet us because I preach effectively in terms of, of talent. You don't, you don't meet us because we sing in a certain pitch. But in your, in your grace... You've taken us in our weakness and allowed us to receive you yourself by your grace. Thank you, Father. Help us to use this time well for our spiritual edification and for our great joy. You're so kind to us, and we thank you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It is fitting that we close by singing a song of response. And so...